Welcome to an encouraging word from Pastor Elliot Warren from Cross Culture Church in Houston, Texas. I am going to talk to you about Thanksgiving today and the power of it. And as I was going through this, I mean, Thanksgiving is all in the Word of God. And it's from the beginning to the end of the Word of God, we are taught to give thanks to God. And it's not just a... It's not just a good thing. It's also a right thing. And somehow it connects us with something spiritual. It, it brings us out of a, a mindset that's not right. And I believe the only way you can have a right mindset and peace in life and you be thinking right is for you to have a thankful heart. That's the only way I believe it works. Amen. So it says in Psalm 107.1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he's good. His steadfast love endures forever. Man, that is one amazing reason to give thanks to God. He always loves us no matter what we're going through, no matter how stupid we've been, no matter what we've done. His steadfast love is always there. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the ones that have given their lives to the Lord have turned to God and trusted God say so. Let them declare this. Let them remember God's always for me. God's always helping me. I fall down. He's going to get me back up. Amen. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The ones who he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Man, there is no question about it. When we are not serving God, when we were in darkness, we were under the power of the enemy. He has redeemed us for that. Many, he's paid the price that had to be paid to bring us out of the enemy's captivity into a place with God. Man, let the redeemed of the Lord praise God for that. Give thanks to God for that. Amen. Psalm 911, 911. That's a special number, right? It says, I will give, I will thank you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of your marvelous works. I will be glad and I will rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And then uh, again, there's so many other little scriptures telling us that we should always be praising him for this. Why? Because he loves us so much and also because God has done so much for us. Amen? He loves us and he's done things for us. So I thank him just because he loves me. He didn't have to love me. And I thank him because he's done so much and he always does so much for me. First Peter 2, 9 says this, He called us out of darkness. And what's darkness? Sin, um, lust, lust of the flesh, just the, the, the base desires. It's talking about the darkness that's in this world, the force of this perverse world that we're living in. Do you realize that the world is covered in darkness and that there's a force of darkness continually working on the inhabitants of the earth? And when somebody comes to God, you see, God's pulling on us and we know that's the right thing to do. He's calling us out, right? He's calling us to step out of that. And it says, He's called us out of darkness and He's called us into the kingdom of glorious light. And what's an amazing thing is when we decide to come out of that darkness, we come to the light and that light continues to grow and overtake every area of darkness that's in our souls. Amen? It's an ever-increasing light. It doesn't start, stop increasing. 
You know, Jesus says, light be. He's the word, right? The word goes, light be. That's the way it was in Genesis. And ever since then, light has been expanding. Do y'all know that? Light is continually expanding at the speed of light, okay? And the one who said that has also brought light into our hearts through Jesus Christ. And it is continually expanding on the inside of us, taking over every area of darkness. Amen? We got a reason to be thankful. You see? John 3.16 goes, God so loved us. Think about that. God so loved us that He sent His only begotten Son. Man, what kind of love is that? That He'd see us in, in need. Now, why did He send His Son? Because we were in our sins and there was no way out. In your sins, you will perish. You will not have eternal life. You are under the wrath of God. And that's just justice. That is mere justice. You might go, oh, um, I don't deserve that. Listen, you don't see things clearly. Amen. I mean, if you see things from the aspect of God, which is clarity, and you see right and wrong, the Bible says we're all under sin. We've all had evil in our hearts. You might think you're a pretty good person, but God says you've got evil on the inside of it. You have darkness. And how are you going to be forgiven for that? How is that going to be cleansed? He says, no man can come into my presence that way. He realizes there's a need and there's no other way you could be saved except he send his son. God has to make a decision. Man, look at, look at these people. I love them. But I'm going to have to send my son. He's going to have to take the form of a man. Live as a man, not live as God. He's God, but he's not living as God. He's living as a man in the earth. Walking as a man with pain, with going through problems. And look what he went through. Look how he died. And the Bible says God did all of that for your sake, for my sake. That is amazing. If you just sit back and just think about that, just think about it. You know, God loves for us to appreciate what he did. You know, even in life, when sometimes we do something really small for somebody and we want to be appreciated for it, right? Sometimes I can do something so small and I, I just like almost want my wife to notice that I did that. And I'm going, that's such a small thing. I'm embarrassed. I even want her to come in like, oh, you did that. You know what I'm saying? Just like some little small something I might've done. Maybe I washed one of her dishes. She washes mine all the time, right? Maybe one little something like that, right? And I just, something in me like wants her to acknowledge that. I'm going, why? That's so stupid. She, she washes my dishes all the time, right? So think about God, the magnitude of what God has done for us. You see, it is right for us to stop and remember what he did and to come and give him thanks. And we should be doing this all the time, right? We should be remembering him. He had to pay that price. We didn't deserve to be forgiven. Y'all know that? We didn't deserve it. God didn't forgive us because we deserve it. He didn't forgive you because you're a good person. No man is good. What I mean by that, we have so much junk on the inside of us. 
I think it was uh, Charles Spurgeon, who's a great preacher. One lady said, you're, so, you're a bad man. And um, he goes, ma'am, you think I'm a bad man, but you don't know the half of it. He said, if you really knew my, the depths of who I've been and who I am, you go, oh, you really are a bad man. He says, but by the grace of God, God saved me. God's helping me and I'm going forward. I'm living for him now, right? Anyway, you don't deserve to be forgiven. You don't deserve to be loved by God. He didn't have to love you. He didn't have to save you. He didn't have to die for you. Right? And that's, that's, a, that's just a powerful thing for us to think about. Look in 1 Corinthians, if you'll turn in your phone to 1 Corinthians, for, which most of you do. Um, 1 Corinthians 6. Listen what it says here in verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, what are the unrighteous? These are those who have not been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And it also refers to those who are not following after him, walking in the path of righteousness. Doesn't mean you never make a mistake, but it means you've been cleansed by God and you're walking that new life. Don't be deceived. Don't think differently than what I'm getting ready to tell you because a lot of people do and they're just deceived. Don't be deceived about this. Fornicators. I have a friend. He told me he got saved and he said that um, a long time later, he heard a pastor say, you're not supposed to have sex with your girlfriend, that that's wrong. And I'm going, what? You didn't know that when you got saved? He said, no. He said, I knew we weren't supposed to fornicate, but nobody ever told me what the word meant. He said, when I, he said, when I learned you're not supposed to do that, I was shocked and I stopped, <laughs> right? Anyway, he goes, neither fornicators nor idolaters. Idolaters, what's idolatry? You know, you think you're, you know, we don't practice, well, most people in America don't practice idolatry by bowing down to some totem pole or, you know, most people, you know, actually some people do bow down to images and things like that. But it's not something that's everywhere. But how do we practice idolatry? The Bible says greed is idolatry, right? What's greed? You're worshiping stuff. You want more stuff. You're serving stuff. Whatever you can do to get more stuff, you're going to do it. Whatever you can do, whatever compromise you have to make, whatever you have to sell yourself to do, you're going to do it to get more stuff, to get more popularity, to get more whatever. That's idolatry. You are idolizing Stuff because of your greed. Amen? Anyway, no, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals. People say, oh, is that wrong? Yes, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's a sin. Like so many other sins, it's a sin. And it's hard to even say that. You know, you can get canceled just for saying that one sin. You can talk about any other sin, but for some reason that one you can't say it or you'll get canceled, thrown off of this channel, thrown off of that channel, Right? Because it's hate to say that. You know, it's hateful to say that. It makes people feel bad. You know something? Sometimes you have to confront what's there to deal with it, or you'll never help somebody with their mess. Most of us have something we're holding on to we don't want to let go of. God says, I want to talk about that thing because that's the very thing you need to deal with to get free and to come to me. 
Here's the verse people wonder about. They don't preach it very much, but Jesus says this. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to go with one hand into heaven than two hands into hell. <laughs> think about that. I mean, think about that. What's he saying there? Listen, you better get rid of what's not of God. Let go of it no matter how precious it is to you. Sometimes our desires, our emotions, our affections are so wound up with what's not good. Just they're close to you, just like that hand. That's why God uses that example. And Jesus says, you better let go of it. Do whatever you have to do to let go of it. It might be painful, but let go of it. It's better to go through life not having what you think you need and go to heaven than to hold on to that and let it sink you. Amen? And homosexuality is one of those things, one of those areas people are like, oh no, don't go there. Don't go there. And you know a lot of, well, I, I could go on and on about this, but I'm just telling you, God wants to bring freedom and healing. Amen? Healing and freedom and uh, an understanding of an individual's identity and being free from inward forces that are spiritual, that drive people towards all of these kind of things. Amen? Nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous. Covetous. You know one of the greatest problems we have in America is because people are covetous. Right? They covet. That means, let's just say they envy. They want something somebody else has. You know, you know why people are unhappy, most people? Because they covet. They want something that somebody else has, right? You know, you could go back to society a hundred years ago. Man, my, my, you know, my, my mother, she's well into her 90s. She grew up going outside to go to the bathroom, to the outhouse, because they didn't have inward plumbing in most places back then. Think about that. I mean, they hardly had anything, but they were happy. I saw a little program not too long ago. They had all these children. They had nothing. I mean, they were in like the, the backwoods of the Amazon or somewhere. And man, you look at these children over and over. They're just happy playing together. All of the people are happy. And you're going, wow, they don't even have a smartphone. And they're happy. They don't have stuff. And they're happy. They don't even have cars back there. And look how happy they are, Right? But just let them get around people that have more than they do. They'll start to be unhappy. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And that's what happens. We start to look around at something other people won't have, and then we start to want what, what we don't have all the time. Covetous. Covetousness. Nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. None of these are going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I think it's so interesting that he goes, do not be deceived. You know, um, you see, when you recognize the severity of the situation, you begin, then you can understand the grace of God. You, you see what I'm saying? If you, if you just think, oh, we just all go to heaven. You know, I forgot the, what was the percent? I told you, John Anthony, I think you reminded me, like 41% or something. What was it? It was like 40, 40 some percent or something like that of senior pastors believe something like, if you're good, you can go to heaven. Something like that. You know, that's extremely against the Word of God. You got to be good. 
But that's not the point. You got to believe in Jesus Christ and your life needs to line up with Him. Right? You're in trouble. You're in trouble. Be not deceived. Nobody that is living this old life and hasn't come to God, nobody is going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's why it says, do not be deceived. Don't let this world tell you any differently. If you need to wake up, you need to wake up. If you need to tell, have the doctor tell you you got spiritual cancer, don't just go, well, I feel I wish you never told me that. You know what I mean? You better deal with it. Anyway, so he says that. And then he says this, and such were some of you. You were living that way. You were going down that path. You were doing things you ought not to be done, driven by your lust and your desires. But you were washed. You were sanctified. That means made holy, cleansed. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Praise God for that. When you realize this is how I was. Now, your sin might be different than somebody else's. The Pharisees would go, hmm, I never did any of that kind of stuff. And Jesus would go, you're just as dirty as everybody else because look at your self-righteousness. Look at your pride. You can't even see how bad you are. At least somebody living like that, it's more obvious to them and they know they're messed up. You see, you know what I mean? <laughs> but anyway, he goes, but such were some of you when you begin to recognize Man, I was on the wrong course. I was living the wrong life, going the wrong direction, doing the wrong things. But God washed me, cleansed me, changed me, pulled me out of darkness, brought me into the light. Man, you just have to sit down and go, that's, that's deep. God, thank you. God, thank you for that. Oh, God, the path I was on, where I was going, how I was living, the blindness that was in my mind, how I was driven to run after those crazy things and you saved me out of that. God, thank you, thank you, thank you, God. That was a miracle. Amen. Man, and there's so many other, other verses like that. You know, it's just all over the Word of God how God has saved us and brought us out of things like that. Ephesians 2.12 says, We were lost. We were without hope. There is no hope for the unsaved. When you look at where they're going, there is no hope there. And the Bible says we were all lost without hope, without God. But now we've been brought near to God. We've been brought to God. We've been brought back through the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Romans 5, 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that. You know, this is another amazing thing. You can be sinning, turning your back on God, living a bad life, and God still loves you. He still knocks at your door. He still does whatever He does to try to get you to turn. He'll get you into the place where you'll get to hear the message you need to hear to turn. He'll put you in a place where things begin to go in a bad direction to get you to wake up to get you to turn. He'll put you in places giving you some kind of opportunity or grace to say, you know, to, to do whatever. So you'll go, okay, God, I'll, I'll pay attention now, right? You remember the prodigal son? He hit rock bottom, but that was the place where he started listening. God let some people go through some situations to get him to wake up. Amen? And if you're a believer, 
and you, you're resisting God in some way. God will let you go through some situations, just like Jonah, to get you to wake up and say, okay, God, I'm sorry I was getting hard-headed. Right? Why does God do that? Because He loves us. He loves us. It's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. Whatever God does, whatever God allows to happen to get us to wake up, God does it because He's good. Because He's got a good thing in mind. Amen? God's got something good in mind. Praise God. While we were yet sinners. I just love that. So, everybody might have rejected you. Everybody might say you're not worth anything. You're messed up. You know, you, you're not smart enough. You don't have a good enough personality. You don't have this. You don't have that. You're not cool enough. You're not handsome enough or pretty enough. And God says, you know, he's got you covered. God loves you. And I want you to understand something. When you know the love of God, you begin to recognize you're accepted in God. He cares about you. And when you're wrapped up in that, none of that other stuff is important anymore. You see what I mean? If you're wrapped up into those things, how wealthy am I? Do people realize that? How successful have I been? Do people see that? Do, you know, uh, how beautiful am I? Handsome or, or pretty or whatever. If those things are what identify you and that's what you're thinking about in life, you're missing out on your greater identity in the Lord of you are accepted in the beloved. You are the apple of God's eye. You are so precious to him. Paul's like, I wish you just had your eyes open to see how big God's love is for you. Amen. Man, if we would just see that, we just see that. God says in Matthew 6, because of his love for us, he's always taking care of you. He says, doesn't God love you? Your father, he's your father, right? Doesn't he love you? He's taking care of you. No matter what you go through, God's going to be there for you. No matter what you go through, God's going to help you. Wow. And not only that, but it says he changes us too. God's always changing us. Now, the word of God teaches us that giving thanksgiving isn't just the right thing to do. It's a good thing to do. And it's also a spiritual substance. Thanksgiving is a spiritual substance that goes up from you to God. It's really powerful, okay? So, it says this in Hebrews 13, 15. Look at this. Let us continually offer that what? You know what? I'd encourage you to start reading your Bible because it gets in you when you read it and you hear it. Let's continually offer up what? Thanks. Okay, that's in one place. This, this is Hebrews 13, 15. It says the sacrifice. Offer up the sacrifice of praise to God, which is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Okay? Um, so, it, first of all, it says continually, right? Let's do this all the time. But then what's, what else is it saying? It's calling this a sacrifice. Now, we use the word sacrifice as, oh, I didn't really want to do it. I made myself do it. It was the sacrifice. But 
when Paul's using the word sacrifice, he's using the word sacrifice the way it comes out of all of the scriptures, which is like, if you brought a sacrifice to the Lord, it was like an offering to God. And so, for example, an animal would be killed. He would be sacrificed. And you would put it on the altar. And maybe it would be burned up. And the aroma, and this is all a picture, but it's illustrating a spiritual truth. The aroma would go before God and it would be a pleasing sense to Him, right? So it says here, you should continually be offering up thanksgiving and praise. And it's like a sacrifice, which means it goes up before God and is pleasing unto Him. They sacrificed animals in the Old Testament. That didn't necessarily please the God, the Lord, but it was the method which they were to express their thanksgiving and express their faith and worship God. That is what pleased God. And the, the aroma was the symbolism of their hearts going up to God, right? It wasn't that God literally enjoyed the smell of the animal. It's that that represented, that aroma represented God being blessed with what you were presenting as you were giving that offering, right? That's what happens when you give thanks to God. You might not feel anything. You might not feel like it's spiritual. But when you give thanksgiving to God, it is spiritual and it goes up before God like a sacrifice and it blesses God and it sets you up for blessing. Anytime you bring something to God, God wants to give something back. You ever hear the word, you can't outgive God? There's a lot of truth in that. You sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap from the Spirit. Amen? And that's another place where it says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. You sow to the flesh, you're going to reap from the flesh. But also don't be deceived if you sow to the Spirit. If you give thanksgiving, give thanksgiving, you're going to reap, you're going to get back from the Spirit. You have activated a spiritual law when you give thanksgiving to God that something has to come back to you that's going to be a blessing. Amen? Isn't that powerful? Wow, we ought to be really thanking God from our hearts at all times. Now, do y'all remember this story in Luke where Jesus multiplied food? Uh, what was there like? Uh, I believe it was two fish and five loaves, right? And there are 5,000 5, people there, 5,000 men there, plus women and children. You know, if there's 5,000 men in a church service, normally there's going to be 15,000 women. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many women were there. I'm guessing it was at least half, I mean, at least double of um, that. So, And then children, who knows how many children were there. Jesus has two fish and five loaves. And one of the, he goes, what have we got? One of, the, one of the disciples goes, well, little boy here's got that, but what's that? I mean, why did I even bring that up? It's just, nobody's got any food here. Out of all these thousands, which tells me something, those people weren't thinking they were going to stay there that long. They're going, oh, we're going to go there. It was a long meeting. You know what? I just would love for God to work like that where we'd come to church and it would be midnight. Or, you know, oh, we better go home. We weren't intended on staying this long, but it was just so good. And miracles were happening. And it was amazing, right? Everybody stuck around. It's past time to eat. And they don't want to go home. You know, maybe somebody goes, hey, it's supper time. Yeah, but who cares? I'll go home hungry. 
And it says Jesus, and I like this because this just shows you Jesus' hospitality. I don't think they were going to die to go home. They weren't, gonna, they weren't so hungry they would have died, but Jesus is like, you know what? It's dinner time or supper time. And they haven't eaten. Let's do something for them. You, you understand that? We think we have to be in the worst, dire situation before God wants to bless us. Oh, it's got to be really bad, then got to come through for us. No, it was just dinner time. They were going to be hungry. And God, Jesus is like, I don't want them to go home like that. That's not very hospitable, you know, of us. And then he tells them, you got to do something about it. He's testing their faith. He tells them to, and they're like, but Jesus, what can we do? Eh? You know, when God tells us to do something, sometimes he tells us to do something that looks so big and we can complain. Well, I can't have, we can't do that. There's no way we could do that. This is impossible. This can't be done. And Jesus is like, I told them, I told them to do something. They could have thought, Jesus told me to do something. That means he's going to empower me to do it. I mean, think about that. And you just think that's the disciples. No, that's us. God calls us to do such great things, but the reason we don't do it is because we think that's too big. It can never happen. These people, these disciples were just given the opportunity. He said, you give them something. They were just given the opportunity to do an amazing miracle, but it's too big for them. Their mind couldn't, couldn't get it, right? So they missed out on it. They could have go, well, they could have said, well, Jesus said to Peter, come out on the water, and he did, and he walked on water. Jesus said, do something about them being hungry. You understand what I'm saying? We've got to take the Word of God and the examples in the Word of God and apply them to where we are right now, and we have to believe, no matter how crazy the Word of God sounds to us, and we've got to stand on that Word. What if one of those disciples, let's use Peter since he was bold enough to step out on water. That's pretty bold, isn't it? In a storm, he stepped out on water. And it's not like he knew how to swim real well. He almost drowned when he started doubting. You remember that? Screaming, I'm going to drown. I don't, well, did he even know how to swim? I don't know. And Jesus pulled him up. But you see, sometimes we have to be willing to step out. Step out when it's crazy. And believe the Word of God when it just sounds crazy. Too many times the Word of God will come to us and we're not going to step out because it just sounds impractical, too spiritual. You, you see what I mean? You do something about it. Oh no, Jesus. That's the craziest idea you've ever come up with, Jesus. I just have to tell you that. Right? And what does Jesus do? Give me that. Uh, how about the boys, two fish and seven loaves. So, excuse me, five loaves. So he gets, he gets the five loaves and two fish. I believe what he did was he lifted it to the Lord. But what he did, he, what he did, he did so that everybody would see what's going on, right? He didn't just, he didn't just start doing his miracle. It says this, he took, this is in Luke 9, 16. He took, the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them, broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before them. 
So they were all filled, and they had, this is 5,000 men plus the women plus the children. They were all fed with two fish and five loaves. And they had 12 baskets left over, which is an important point. Now, every single one of the Gospels, all four of them, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them mention this event, right? This blessing is mentioned in every one of them. He blessed the food, then he broke it. Okay? What does it mean he blessed the food? He blessed the food. If I have food here, how do I bless it? Do you understand? How can I have a blessed food? I mean blessed where God's blessed it. God set it apart. There's something I got on my food. How can, do you understand what I'm saying? It's a strange thought, but we use the word all the time. We don't think about it. How can my food be blessed? What did Jesus do? Did he look at it and go, be blessed? No, he didn't. What did he do? One of the translations, instead of saying he blessed it, it uses another word and tells us exactly what he did. And that's in John. And it says it this way. And Jesus took the loaves and after he had given thanks, he multiplied them. Giving thanks. Giving thanks is what blessed the food. Do you understand? When Jesus, he didn't multiply it until after he gave thanks. And all four Gospels make a big point of that. He gave thanks and then it was blessed. Now, this is, this is really powerful. Whenever we thank God for something, it brings, it, it puts it under God and sort of dedicates it unto God and it brings a blessing on it. Now, I'm not, you can't bless sin because you can't be doing something wrong and thank God for it. You know what I mean? You can't steal a, a $1,000 and come home and thank the Lord for it, right? It's not going to make it holy. Not going to bless it. You understand? But in our day-to-day walk, you have something that you're doing. We have things we're doing in life. The fish was a very natural thing, right? He committed it to God and it became blessed, right? Now, I want us just to mention or look at a couple of things in this story. He gave thanks to God for two fish and five loaves when he needed thousands of fish. It wasn't enough. Do you understand? He gave thanks to God for something that wasn't enough. I think that's so key. He didn't cry. He didn't complain. He trusted. Now, I just, I want to mention this point, and I hope you'll put this in your heart. Giving thanks to God is key to you getting a miracle when you don't have enough. Amen? Complaining about what you had. Now, where in the Bible 
would you see complaining as bringing the favor of God on your life? Where can we find complaining ever opening the door for you to get your miracle? Do you see what I'm saying? You're not going to find it. You know what complaining does? It stops your miracle. It puts up walls between you and your miracle. It removes the blessing, so to speak, from, from where it should be, where you need it, right? Complaining does that. Now, we might complain, but then we wake up and we go, I'm sorry, God, I have a wrong attitude about that, right? And we cleanse ourselves from that and we begin to be thankful, okay? Now, I just would say, if you're in a place right now, you've got an income that's not enough, you've got a job that's not enough, you've got a situation that's not enough, be thankful for what you have. You don't have to say, God, I thank you, it's not enough. No, I'm saying... Just be thankful for whatever you do have and watch God multiply it. Your attitude in that situation is what will set you up for increase and in blessing. You bring thanksgiving to God for what's not enough. It's a spiritual thing. God's going to see that and God's going to go, <laughs> I'm going to bless him back. Do y'all understand what I mean? Bring thanksgiving to God. You got an old car. Your car doesn't work all the time having problems, thank God for what you've got. Thank God for, but that doesn't mean you've got to say, God, I thank you my car has problems. God, I thank you my car broke down today. No, thank him for the car. Thank him for what he's done, you, you see? And you can just say, God, I thank you because you got the right one coming my way. Isn't that right? But you got to stay, that's, that's igniting your faith. When you start complaining, you're in the wrong mindset already. You're going to start doing things in the flesh. You're going to start, you go buy the wrong car. You'll go get, out, uh, you know, spend too much money. Make, you see what I'm saying? But when you're in that place, you're just trusting the Lord. And you see, God has us trust Him. If God just wanted you to thank Him after you got all of the blessing, there's not much faith in that, you see. You need to thank Him when you get the blessing. But you need to thank Him sometimes when it's going to require a little bit of faith to thank Him. Amen? Now, I want to explain this. The Bible does say in Ephesians 5.20, it says this, um, Be thankful for all things. Now, when it says for all things, it means small things or great things. The very smallest thing you have, you should be thankful for that unto God. And you should just be in a habit of thanking God for whatever, all, even the small things and recognizing God in that. And you should be thankful for the great things. Sometimes when people get great things, they, you'd think they'd be thankful. So many times that's when people actually begin to forget God, when they begin to get big blessings, right? But I want to explain something here, like I've already indicated. When it says, be thankful for all things, it doesn't mean be thankful for the things the devil is, are, is doing, right? So you don't be thankful for all things in that way, okay? So you don't say, Lord, I'm thankful my neighbor got shot this morning. Thank you. You don't do that because that's not God. You see what I mean? So when I'm, the reason I'm saying is that so many people will thank God for things thinking that's being spiritual, and God doesn't mean to thank you for things that the devil's brought into your life. You might thank God how he's using it in your life. You see what I mean? 
that I wouldn't say, God, I thank you. I got sick and almost died last week. Now, if something good came out of it, you could say, God, I thank you that happened and something good came out of it because you made that happen. You made the good come out of that, right? So the Bible says in James 1.17, every good gift and perfect gift is from above. Every evil thing is from somewhere else, right? Okay, Jesus didn't thank God that people were sick. He never, Lord, I thank you this person's sick. Oh, I thank you. You just stay sick. I'm thanking the Lord for that. It's just a wonderful thing you're sick. He never said that, did he? He cast out that sickness. I mean, he'd heal them, right? He healed everyone that came to him. He never goes, oh, Lord, I thank you this person has a demon. I thank you that person's possessed with a demon. I think, no, he didn't thank him for that. Anyway, so don't thank God for all things in that way. You thank God for all things, even small things, if there's some kind of good in it. Thank God you at least have a car. Thank God you at least have a job. What if you didn't have that job? You thank God for it, it's going to be the open door for your next thing to come. Sometimes you have to get a blessing where you are and you have to have the right attitude before God moves you on. Do you know that? I was in a job one time and, um, well, anyway, I'll share the story now that I started it. I was in a job once and it was a difficult job. And back then, I don't think you can do this anymore, but back then you can get commission, you can get paid commission and you get absolute, this, and you work for the company. You're an employee, all right? You're an employee, you get paid commission and you don't get any salary at all. So this was a hard job. Only a very small percent of people make it. And so uh, it's like an intense sales job. And I'm going, oh my, I had to make 100 calls a day. So, you know, and I had to write them out the day before. I'd force myself to do it. Man, and I just, I couldn't stand that job, right? But I felt I'm being obedient because I believe God wants me here. I believe God wants me here. And I said, God, I'm giving this 90 days. I'm giving this 90 days. Guess what? 90 days passed. I had not, I'd worked hard in a job I hated. Was intense. And I had not made one penny. I was throwing a paper route. Back then you could make a lot of money in a paper route. I mean, one of the guys there made, which back then this is a lot. They made like $40,000 a year. You know, it's a lot of work. It's seven days a week, right? And so I was doing that until the money was coming in. 90 days, my time limit was up. And I'm going, God won't let me go. God won't let me go. Okay, God, I submit. I submit. I'm going to enjoy this job. I'm going to do my best at it. I'm going to stay here as long as you want me here. And like in the next two weeks, I made like $10,000 or something. I'm like, yay, praise God. I'm glad I didn't go after 90 days, right? <laughs> so I just want to encourage you. You get your attitude adjusted where you are. Get a good attitude in what you're doing. Are you supposed to be where you are? Are you doing what you're supposed to be? Well, then have a good attitude about it. Praise God and thank God in the middle of you having nothing. And watch what happens. God will bring you into the blessing. You got to change your attitude before you get your breakthrough. If you change your attitude after you get your breakthrough, you didn't really change your attitude. God works on your attitude when you're going through a trial, not when you're going through a blessing. All right, so 
So that says, be thankful for all things. And it's talking about all things from God. There's another verse that says, be thankful in all things. Now, what does that mean? That's in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Giving thanks in all things. Because this is God's will for you. Man, don't you just love the frankness of that? In all things. Another version says it this way. Give God thanks in every kind of circumstance you're ever in. That means no matter how bad things get, no matter how bad you feel, even in that circumstance, no matter what kind of injustice you've been treated with, you know, when, no matter what's happened, you need to get out of your bitterness, get out of your funk, get out of your heaviness, get out of your depression, and start thanking God. Not for what you're going through, not for the bad circumstances, not for injustice, in the middle of it. It means you thank God in the middle of where you are, no matter how bad it is. Start being thankful. For what? For every good thing. For your salvation. For your acceptance in God. For the truth that God's going to bless you. For the truth that God's going to get you out of where you are. For, for the, the truth that God is faithful and He said He'll never leave you. Start giving thanks and you'll start connecting to the promises that will lift you up out of your circumstance even though you're still in your circumstance. That's powerful, amen? What's the will of God for you in your situation? Give thanks. Yeah, but what's, I want something else. Yeah, God will give you something else. But first, why don't you start doing the first thing you ought to be doing is giving thanks in the middle of your trial for every good thing, for every blessing. And you know what? You'll not only change, you'll start to feel so much better. You know, whenever we're not thankful, we begin to envy, like I said earlier, what everybody else has. We begin to think we need something else. We begin to be discontent. Oh, I need more. You know what? When you start to give God thanks for even the smallest things, you start to be content. Paul said this, I've learned the secret. Whether I have a whole lot or whether I have a whole little, a whole little. That's a new word, right? That's from the deep south right there. I've got a whole little. So it uh, does, doesn't matter. Paul's like, it doesn't matter. I'm happy either way. I've learned a secret. I've tapped into something. Man, if you could only get this, you wouldn't need circumstantial happiness. There's something bigger than that. It's always with you. It's a joy that's from God. And it's not dependent on your circumstances at all. If you haven't learned how to thank God in your hard times, you are not connecting with that. You see, that's what he was saying. So, now when Jesus thanked him for what was not enough, what happened? God multiplied it, but not just multiplied it. He gave, it, he gave them an excess. Did you understand? Um, let's call that and overflow a blessing that was more than they could contain. Do you know God doesn't just want to bless? Some people don't like this. I'll just tell you, God loves to bless. And He likes to bless you in a way that's pressed down, running over, shaken together, and overflowing. He likes to bless you in such a way that overwhelms you and it says you can't even contain it where you'll just be going, oh, God, 
He gave them much more. Twelve big baskets full. God didn't have to give them extra. He could have just given them what they needed. What did they do with that? It doesn't say. I could just imagine. They gave it away. Wow. Man, that's good, isn't it? Now, there's so many other things I wanted to share about that. I'll run as fast as I can. Okay, I'll squeeze in another seven minutes maybe. Now, I believe that tithing is a great example of this. And I like to share about this because I think tithing is a hard thing for some people to do because it's hard for them to trust God with their money. It's hard for them to believe God will take care of them. You know what I mean? So we'd rather be in control and go, I got it, I got it, I got it, than to trust God and do His ways because it takes faith to do His ways and His ways are always higher than our ways and our flesh doesn't want to do it His way. Our flesh wants to be in control. That's why I think tithing is a hard thing. For some people, until you learn and faith has to rise up against over your mind, right? So, what is tithing? It's given to God the first 10% of what you get, right? Tithe, I had a guy goes, uh, many years ago, the, the guy comes up to me and says, I realize we have to tithe, but I just can't figure out, why do we have to give 10%? I said, well, that's what that word means. <laughs> Okay, so anyway, um, when you tithe, you're honoring God. It's a proper thanksgiving sacrifice unto God. You're recognizing He's in charge. He's responsible. I'm honoring Him and thanking Him. And it can be in faith because you're giving Him the first, not the last 10%, right? Boy, it's, it's the, see, it's the expression of the right attitude that comes out of this that's so powerful, right? So, anyway, you bring the tithe, and it's precious to him. We see that in Malachi. It's a proper way to show thanks, right? Um, but what else happens when we tithe? First of all, we're honoring God. We're blessing God. It touches his heart. You remember God was pleased with uh, Abel, but not with Cain. Abel brought the first unto God. Cain, in the course of time, he gave something to God. It was the attitude of heart that Abel had when he brought his offering that pleased God, right? It, it blessed him. And God so desires us to give something to him and David said something like this, I'll never give something to God that doesn't cost me. What does he mean? I want to really make it real from the inside. I want it to be something that's, God, I'm giving this to you, right? There's something spiritual in that. Okay, so when we give God of the first as an offering, it's just the same principle that happens when you give that Thanksgiving we were learning earlier. It brings something up to God and there's a blessing that's going to come back. You remember what Jesus did? He thanked God for the food. I believe this is a, an example of this. It's an illustration. God multiplied what He had. When you bring God the 10%, what does God do? He, His blessing blesses and multiplies the rest. Do y'all see what I'm saying? 
You remember earlier? We're all quiet now, right? We thank God. We present our blessing. What happens? It's an offering unto the Lord. Blessing comes back on the rest. So what does it say? Um, you know, test me now in this, right? Um, I just, I'll read that. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there'll be food in my house and test me now. If I won't open the window, listen to this. I, I want you just to connect this with what, with the bread and other things we've been talking about. Bring the tithe and watch while I not open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you a what? What does it say? Blessing. blessing. A blessing. When you do that, the other is blessed. When you show thanks and you honor God, the other is blessed. It's supernatural. And he says, I'll open up the windows of heaven. This means something coming from God supernaturally to bless us. That's really, isn't that great? Proverbs 3.9 says this, Honor the Lord, honor the Lord with your possessions. Right? And the first fruits of your increase. Now, when Solomon's talking about first fruits, there's no question what he meant to the people who are reading this. Honor the Lord with your first. What is that? It's the tithe. Of course it is. Right? So he says, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats overflow with new wine. Listen to this. Naturally speaking, if you give away something, you have less, don't you? Isn't that true? But God's ways are higher than your ways. God says, if you give away, the rest that you have has a blessing on it. And Solomon said it. This Solomon wrote this out of wisdom, insight. He saw these things happening. He goes, man, I've observed this. Honor God, honor Him. It's an honoring, a, a proper way of thinking with the first and watch the blessing come on the rest. So that your barns will be filled with whatever, whatever. You see what I'm saying? That's really, that's such a powerful story. There's one other story I'd like to get into, but I'll, I'll, I'll not go there, but I, I would love to cap it off with the story in Luke 17 about the lepers, right? Maybe I'll just, I'll just give an honorable mention here. Remember, one, one guy came back and gave proper thanks to God. All of them got healed physically. All of them got healed physically. But only one came back and gave thanks. And that one got the extra blessing. And why did he come back and get thanks? I want you to think about these 10 lepers got healed. They're walking. They're, they got, Jesus goes, go to the priest. And as they're walking, they all get healed. They're all happy. Every one of them would tell you, oh, I'm thankful. Oh, I'm so thankful. They probably said, oh, I'm so thankful for what God did. But what did the one do? He did it immediately. He, he said, first before anything else. First before, I've got to go thank God. And why did he do it that way? Was he doing it? Because he, it says that this guy was even a Gentile. He didn't even know the Jewish ways. He wanted to express Thanks. You ever want to tell somebody thank you for something they've done and you want them to know you're thankful? 
You're like, I really want them to know. I'm, I mean, I want them to know I'm thankful. I, I, I just, you do whatever because you, you don't know how thankful I am. I, I just, I want to show it, right? That's what this one was feeling. It was, man, I, I've, I've got to express this. He goes back, you don't know Jesus really. I mean, I'm so thankful. I'm so, and that touches Jesus's heart. He's going, oh, I wish the other nine had done that. That had been so amazing. But I'm thankful you did. You came back and thanked me first before you ran to share with other people, before you did all this, before you enjoyed all that I gave you. You came back and you thanked me first. That means a lot to me. God's impressed by your thanksgiving. It means a lot to him. It means a lot. Amen. Well, Lord, this week we want to thank you. God, you've done so much for us to bless us and to bring us into your thanksgiving. Uh, Lord, to bring us into a place of thanksgiving. So, God, we do thank you, Lord, and I thank you for every person who's heard this today. I pray that each one, God, that you'll be speaking to, and I know God's speaking to all of you. I just would say, go deep down into your heart. Don't Can, can you tell the difference between God wrestling in your mind and you wrestling with God and you, you know, and God wrestling in your heart? God's like, uh, prioritize me. If you, if you need to put God first in your life today, you've been putting yourself first, put God first. And God will take care of you. Um, put God's ways first. Pull away. You got to do it every day. You got to pull away from serving you and just make sure you're serving God first. So God, we do that and we thank you, Lord. We remember our salvation. We remember how much you love us, God. And we give you a sacrifice of thanksgiving today. We give you an offering of thanksgiving today, Lord. God, so we just we, we just wish we knew how to express it even more. But Lord, just thank you, Lord, so much for what you've done for us today. In Jesus' name, amen.